The winemakers are up next, but first, check out this other great show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Destination Eat Drink. I'm Brent Peterson. Each week on the podcast, we visit a different foodie city and explore the cuisine that makes that place special, whether it be custard tarts in Lisbon, mango beer in Mumbai, or lizard curry in Guatemala. Download Destination Eat Drink today on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. From the birthplace of modern winemaking, Sonoma, California, welcome to the winemakers. Local experts Sam Katuri, Bart Hansen, and Brian Casey, along with host John Myers, invite you to listen in as they discuss all facets of winemaking. So sit back, pour yourself a glass, and let's hear what the guys have to say this week. Well, that sounds nice. Doesn't <laughs> <laughs> Perfect pour this Yeah, morning. welcome to the winemakers. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, I'm John Myers. I'm here with Sam Katuri, Bart Hansen, Brian Casey, and Paul Jardine, and Brandon Brito. From, you guys are from Hansel Farms and Vineyards. Welcome, and good morning on a Jason, sort of a Jason. Jason, Jason what did Jason I say? Jardine. What did hey, I, I say? I go by Paul. That's not a problem at all. Uh, what did I, Paul Jardine? How the hell did I do that? Paul White must be lurking around the corner. I think so. What can I say? Well, then it's really nice to meet you anyway, regardless. The idea is, it's a beautiful day in Sonoma. Hopefully the sun will come out. It's kind of a little cloudy, but the last couple of days have been stunning. Really nice yesterday. It's really nice when the sun comes out here, man. So, In those, those foggy days, was Hansel... Hansel's probably like was like right... Right. Oh, we were just in just it in it or above it. Yeah, uh, you know, for the last several years we've been above it, as you know. I, yeah, it, the marine layer hasn't come in as as hard as it has been the last few weeks, and so so that is a beautiful day to us now is when the actually marine layer, when the fog hits. Yeah, when the fog hits <laughs> and it sits there and and actually you know dew is dripping from the trees. That that's a sight that we haven't seen in a long time. So super grateful for that. What's uh, what your elevation yeah. up there? Uh, we're in between four fifty and eight hundred feet. And, and Saturday, the fog line was right in the middle of that. So you could be yeah. tasting in the winery and in, and you're socked in. And then you go up to the top. Yeah, it's Ramos. blue sky. It's right. be- this is what we're drinking. What here. we're this tasting right now, actually. Ramos. The Ramos nice. block was in the nice. blue sky zone. It was beautiful. Yeah, and then there are those days. I live at about 800 feet. And there are those days where you think the valley floor is completely socked in. And it's not. It's mm. just got the, the cover. But you're completely socked in all day because after as it's lifting, it's just staying at your altitude. Yeah, right. It's like you never yeah. get the sun. Nonetheless, we haven't seen Mount Tam or Mount Diablo or San Francisco in a long time. Yeah. <laughs> it's the season, though, you know? Well, you guys, I mean, for those people out there should that, we, should we do that don't intro? know Hansel Vineyards, I mean, I think someone should do a little... Well, History. So, 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 so you guys know we've had Gene Arnold on the show, yeah, awesome. um, and uh, and we've had actually had we had Ben Sessions on many years ago with um, with Shana um, and got Shauna and we got into Hansel a little bit, you know. Um, but why don't why don't you guys tell a little bit of the story of the beginnings of Hansel and how important it is to our Valley of Sonoma here. Go for that. Please, Jason. Yeah. Um, so Hansel was founded in 1953. Actually, the property was purchased, I believe, in 49 by James D. Zellerbach, um, who at, at the time was living in San Francisco with his wife, Hannah, and was the ambassador to Italy. And so he founded uh, or planted the first vines at Hansel in 1953, um, both Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. Actually, the old sign says Pinot Chardonnay on it. Uh, 
still was just kind of pretty cool. You know, if you, if you think about 1953, I mean, even because even, Burgundy went through a big phase of replanting right around that same period. I mean, Pinot Noir and Chardonnay were not, were not varietals like, like you would say they are today. You know what I mean? It's, it's just red and white Burgundy is what it was. Um, so it's pretty remarkable that, um, that he chose Hansel, I think, for that. And, and, and it's hard to know why. There's very, you know, Mr. Amba- or Mr. Zellerbach passed away in 1961. So we sadly don't have a ton of history on kind of what exactly he was thinking and, and why he chose Hansel and all that. We just are kind of going back from what we heard from Brad Webb, who was uh, the founding winemaker, and then uh, later on Bob Sessions, who started in 1973. And so it was really, I, I think, the combination of, of being close to San Francisco because that's where they live, which makes makes sense. Mm-hmm. And then the Mayakama Mountains and our Red Hill clair, uh, series clay. And so the the top from a topical sense, the soils look very similar to what he would have seen while he was traveling around Burgundy. Mm-hmm. Um, he was co-sponsoring the Marshall Plan at the time, so he spent a lot of time in Europe and in France. And so that those Red Hill, that red clay, maybe is something that kind of drew him to our area. And and I have to say too, like the the Mayakamas, what a remarkable freaking place <laughs> you, you know, i mean for for and, all of us that are blessed to farm up there i mean it is the the understatement of <laughs> the morning <laughs> you know what i mean i mean i i how special to have volcanic subsoils with this this beautiful red clay on top that you can it holds a tremendous amount of organic matter um, it, which is just so suited to the way that, that we've How deep is that red day. clay layer? So it varies. You know, some, some areas in the vineyard are very shallow, say two to four inches, but we're, we're adding topsoil through our farming process every year. Um, and then some areas go as deep about 18 inches. Um, and and you, can, you can tell, it, certainly, the way that the, uh, well, everything kind of reacts. You know, what's it look like when you dig down? For, for reference sake, John, we've had uh, Brene Royal from Monterosso on, mm-hmm. Essentially, uh, Hanzel and Monterosso are the same ridge line separated by Aguacaliente drainage mm-hmm. by this canyon that comes out of, like, from Cayman to the top of the mountain down into the movie theater in Sonoma. Yeah, and right. Hanzel is on one side of that to the south, sort of south and east, mm-hmm. and, and Monterosso is north and to the west. So think of that, you know, when you think about the red soil of Monterosso, that's... It's it's the same it's the same sort of like swath of land essentially right same yeah geology yeah. yeah and and but the other thing that's amazing is that how many how many feet do you go up higher where that red soil goes away and then it just becomes rock, rock yeah yeah you know well and, and there's some rainer Montero, so the, there's a different series in the red hill series as well on on the Hansel property and and you can kind of see it all throughout the Mayakamas where you go from that red clay and, and I, you probably have some of this too a little bit more grayish and it's almost sort of like tufa, a, a tufa, ash, exactly, yeah. volcanic ash yeah. exactly Blonde, um yeah. and and we see that on the Hansel property as well and, and so the, which is really like so the wine we're tasting right now the Hansel farm 2018 ramos uh, chardonnay in 2000 so i started with Hansel in 2014 and then in 2016 we were really at that point like digging deep into uh, um, me trying to understand what we have going on there and so we're isolating every little portion of the vineyard different soil types different clones and rootstock combinations kind of everything we had firming it on its own and then we wanted to like age it on its own given our our history and and the ageability of of the Hansel wines age it on its own so we ended up bottling you know 75 cases or so of all these little small areas or, or experiments that we were doing 
and and kind of letting those uh, carry through, and we're going to keep monitoring those for the next you know 25, yeah, 30 years. Were any of those for sale, or those were just for your so, own experimentation? So we did release them to our wine club. So our, we gave our wine club members an option to opt into what we call the farm series. And so what what it is is every April they receive a, a six pack of our experimental wines. So it could be it could be four different wines, you know, one of two, and then four bottles of one bottle each, or three different wines, two different wines. It kind of depends year year to year, kind of what we're doing experimental wise, or what portion of the vineyard we chose that that particular vintage to isolate and look what a so, great idea man uh, that's the farm series well and and so to that note um before that hansel was kind of only a two or three that's right bottling wine right yep. i mean you had the pinot the shard and that was it so it was really two is that right or well was... so up until 2007 when the um sabella was released sabella oh, chardonnay right, sabella. so up until 2007 it was two wines with the exception of 1979 to 1991 when we made Cabernet, which is what we brought today, too, because we brought Cabernet back in, in 2012, and our first vintage was 16, and this is the 17 that we'll taste today. Wait, but what happened to the cab? Why did it go away? So rumor is is that you couldn't sell it, right? If you, if you think about it, like the cab was planted in, in 71 or 72 to 91, somewhere in there, and, or is when we produced it. And it's, Paris tasting didn't happen until 76, and then that was predominantly Napa that got most of the notoriety from that. And then you go into the 80s. I think selling Sonoma County Cabernet in the 80s was probably a pretty rough rough go, right? Alexander Valley would be the exception, perhaps? Uh, perhaps, yeah. yeah. Um, so, so they took it out mm -hmm. after the 91 vintage and planted Pinot Noir. Gotcha. Yeah. And though recently, so when did you replant? In 2012, rootstock, yeah. and then grafted in 14 when I got there. Cool. Yeah. And and a little bit on your background, you were previously where and 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 where did you grow up? And you know, give us a little bit of that oh my background gosh. also. Um, <laughs> Brandon, we're coming for you <laughs> next. Oh no! This is the. I mean, just you know, just briefly, like no, it's you okay. know, it's just my first podcast. It's okay. Let <laughs> yeah. um, talk about when you were on tour too. Yeah, do you do talk? <laughs> So I, I grew up in, yeah, exactly. Uh, actually, that Bertha, that's my wife's tattoo. I'll cross her whole arm. It's that Bertha poster. Yeah, there. It's amazing. Um, so I grew up in Lodi, California. Um, I, I left home when I was about 11, moved in with a friend of mine in his garage. And then when I turned 13, I moved out with my great aunt in Thornton, which is about 10 or so miles outside of the town of Lodi, even smaller town than small town Lodi at the time. Um, and then I, because my family has a farming history, but it skipped my, my generation, my parents, it was really with my grandfathers and my great grandfathers that came from the Azor Islands and planted, um, at Zinfandel in 1906 outside of Lodi mm -hmm. in this small town Thornton. So I started working for a lot of the neighboring, uh, farms at the time, welding. Um, I didn't go to high school. I, I had to work full-time instead. Um, I met a good friend that was a farmer up in Myers Flat, which is by Garberville in Humboldt County. And I actually spent time, I was about 13 to, to 18 until uh, 1995 when Jerry died, traveling with him and, and running his farm up in Humboldt back and forth and, and going to dead shows, believe it or not. Um, and then I, I met- I can't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so um, my wife and I met, uh, right after jerry died um he died in august we met that october and in yosemite national park 
and she had just graduated college and I had went there. My dad was in drug rehab for like 10 years. And then he went to Yosemite as part of a Narcotics Anonymous sobriety program. And so I went to visit him, met my wife, Allie. We fell in love. We tr tr she's from Mississippi. And so she wanted to take me home to, to meet her parents, which I'm sure were going to hate me. I had hair down to my ass. And, you know, she's from conservative Baptist parents in, in Mississippi. Um, so um, on our way to Mississippi, we drove through Oregon and Canada and kind of Montana and did the national park thing. And while we're going through Oregon... Um, that was a shortcut, by the way. Right, yeah, right? yeah exactly. <laughs> That's uh, how I usually get to Mississippi. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, we both kind of just fell in love with Oregon, actually, you know, and so... We were going, so when we got to Mississippi, we were like, okay, we're going to move back to Oregon and grow blueberries. That was the plan. And then when we got there, we met with several blueberry farmers that were selling at farmers markets and things. And this was in, I, I don't know, when was this, 80 something, 89? Bears like blueberries. Don't they? The bears love blueberries, especially in Oregon. <laughs> um, so, anyhow, so we said, you know what, blueberries isn't going to work. We're never going to be able to make a living on that. And so we started planting vineyards, believe it or not. And so we, we started planting vineyards in the South Willamette Valley um, when I was 19. And then when I uh, – and uh, so this is a long story. I don't want to no, keep no, going. No, okay. no, no, this is a story. Uh, it's exactly the idea. Okay. Right. Sorry. I don't want to um, – I haven't really ever told the full this, uh, story. Full story. That's um, even better. Yeah. So we, so we, so we uh, bought with a bank about a 40-acre property – started planting Pinot Noir. And this was... Wait, how much? How much, how much did you have to pay for 48? So $22,000, <laughs> right? With, with, with a 1,100 square... Now, the house was in really bad shape, but we didn't care. I mean, I lived in a tent for six years, right? Myers, <laughs> Myers Flat. So those that know Myers Flat at that time, especially, um, is actually one of the most beautiful places I ever lived. Um, it's very different today yeah. when you go up there, you know, compared to what it was like in the 80s. So, so it had a small place on it too. And so that's where our, our son was born there. Our daughter was born uh, a few years uh, later. And so uh, anyhow, so I decided I didn't know anything about growing grapes, but because growing up in Lodi, I was surrounded by vineyards my whole life. And because where my great aunt and my grandmother lived out in Thornton, all of our back was, was vineyards. And so I, when I was a kid, when we go shoot our guns in the vineyard, we did a lot of things, I, which I wish I regretfully did today to those vineyards, <laughs> driving, you know, ATVs through them and everything. it was terrible. Um, but, but. So I, I spent a lot of my youth just out there. I was driving a tractor, you know, like I said, learn how to weld and all that stuff with a lot of the neighbors that were the vineyard owners and the farmers. Um, so we decided to grow grapes. And, and about a year into it, a gentleman named Dyson Demera, who was actually a, a senior executive of Robert Mondavi, was one of the first employees for Bob at Robert Mondavi. He, he'd been there about 30 years at the time already. He was looking for a place to retire with his family. So he was just drove by, saw me out. I was actually literally planting. They have a great photo of it. And he walked up the hill and was like, what's going on? Who are you? And I was just, again, I was 19, right? I was just a kid. And, and he's just, he, so he sat there and his family was in the suburban and we talked for about three hours. He's like, this is just the craziest thing I've ever seen. Like, what are you going to do? Where are you going to sell the grapes? Who's, how are you getting paid for this? Like, well, we kind of borrowed the money. And at the time you could, right? Like you can get agricultural loans, which don't exist today, sadly, um, for young farmers like that. Because if it wasn't for that period of time, I, I've never, we would never have been able to get into the industry. Also, yeah. $22,000 for 40 acres. And when you said that number, I was like, oh, $22,000 an acre. That sounds pretty good. Yeah, yeah right? Yeah, yeah, no, that was everything. Uh, 
And so we were close to King Estate. This was our, this farm in Yonkala was about half an hour from King Estate. So I'd already kind of been there and like picking their brain, and and the intention was a Will Buckland. Yeah, nice. Yeah, we had Will on last week. Yeah, listen to that one. That was a good episode. Yeah. Uh, so so anyhow, so he said so when we spent about three hours together, and he's like, look, when you turn 21, you want to learn how to make wine, you know, come down and I'll give you an internship at Robert and Dobby. And so on my 21st birthday, I called him. I was like, Dyson, is that offer still? Because we just had, our son was just born, and we're like, you know, we're, we're two hours from a hospital. Like, you know, is this something we want to do? I have to actually make an income now somehow to raise a family. And Woodbridge, uh, you know, of course, was right by Lodi. Um, Robert Madavi Woodbridge, you know. And so the old, so I lived in the tank house behind my great aunt's house in Thornton, which is a 12 by 12 room that's, that's three stories high where the water tank was for our well. And so I converted the first two floors into a living space when I was really young, when I was a kid. And so that's where my wife and I, we moved back to. Um, so we moved back there. I, I, I did an internship when, when I was 21 at Robert Mondavi Woodbridge, supposed to be for three months. Um, David Akiyoshi, who's the director of winemaking at the time, one of the most loving people I've, I'll ever meet. I mean, he was this uh, gem, kind of took me under his wing, asked, like, hey, you want to stay here and work with the winemakers for a couple of years, learn how to make wine, do it? So I did. I stayed for a couple of years. And meanwhile, you have... Pinot Noir in ground in Willamette Valley. Which we sold. Which uh, we sold. When we yeah. Okay. So we had planted it. I planted 36 acres. Um, every vine myself, pounded every post, ran all the, the wire and everything. It was quite, um, it was cool. I enjoyed it. It took me about two and a half years to, to do it all. Um, so we sold that place. Didn't make any money, of course, you know. And and actually hey, paid did. off yeah paid off the the bankers yeah yeah exactly <laughs> yeah they, they did they didn't make they actually made a little bit of money I think probably um and so then so after that David and I kept talking I, I, farming was my my passion my love I wanted to go back up to Oregon and and so we went back up planted a bunch of vineyards in the Willamette Valley um, with a gentleman called Joel Myers who was the Duarte rep at the time um, mm-hmm. so I got for, the timing was really fortunate because Domain Serene was just starting to plant all their vineyards. Mm-hmm. And, and he was farming for Domain Serene, so I got that contract to go up and plant all the Domain Serene vineyards. I met Tony Soder, so I got to replant Beacon Hill for Tony Soder at the time um, to, when he was starting his sparkling program. Um, and then in Southern... Totally. One of the best spark, American sparklings ever, right? Um, and then went down to Southern Oregon and planted about six, 700 acres down there with a couple named Don and Trouty Moore, and that was for Willamette Valley Vineyards predominantly. So I got into a lot of Tempranillo, Cabernet Franc, Malbec, uh, Merlot, and everything, and a lot of Pinot Noir and Pinot Gris as well. And then in 2002, a gentleman um, from Benchmark Capital, the managing partner there, contacted me. He wanted to start a winery in Santa Cruz Mountains and called Reese Vineyards. And, and so, uh, uh, you know, he... He, he just called me out of the blue, cold called me, because he had been calling around uh, wineries in Oregon. He called, like, Archery Summit, where a good friend of mine, Sam Tannehill, was the winemaker at the time. He called Domain Strain. Just so happened to call all the wineries that I was affiliated with in one way or another. And because Archery Summit was right next to the winery hill where we were planting Domain Serene, I, I, was, I met with them every day. Again, I was, I was like 22 years old or something stupid, right? I mean, mm. I, tried, I talked with every single person I could talk to and l- try to learn anything from anybody because I knew nothing. Um, and so he called me, and I was like, no, nah, I just we have two kids. I mean, yeah, I, we just bought a house in Medford, and, and our life was sort of going one way. And so he kept sending me wine, and he would send me boxes and boxes of Burgundy. And I didn't even drink wine at the time. 
And so I was, he was sending me like looking back on it now, right? I'm I mean, sorry. Uh, he, he probably had the greatest like DRC collection of anyone in the world. So all this DRC and Rumier and, and Loire wines. And you were and, just like, like giving it to your friends. So, I was just, I, I was, I, honestly, I wasted the vast majority of it. Like we would taste it. We're like, ah, oh, I don't know. I'm not sure I'm a wine drinker. <laughs> Cook with this. Yeah, yeah right? Add this super, to the tomato it sauce. Cra- it was sort of crazy. So he kept calling. That went on for, for over a year. And then he hired a, a firm out of Napa to go up and plant his first vineyard for him. And, and sadly, the first winter rains, they had a huge landslide. And so he called me when the landslide happened. It's like, well, you, What year was that? Do you remember? This was 2003. Okay. Is that just because it hadn't been planted and, and you know rooted what at had, all? What had happened is that they didn't follow the, the drainage engineering plans. And, and instead of removing the debris that they were sort of moving around they buried it and so and 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 these are 44 percent slopes was the the steepest part of the vineyard right Mm -hmm. um and so when you have a lot of wood material and brenda's as well you know buried and in 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 the santa cruz mountains especially this was alpine vineyard um is all volcanic ash so a lot of that tufa material and and it will run on you really quick and so it's just poorly it was poorly done um we were able to fix it but so he he called me when that happened and just asked if I'd come down and meet him, meet his family, and see the place in there. So I, I did. That's my first flight I think I'd ever been on at the time. I flew, flew down uh, to San Jose from, from Medford and met with him, and I actually really liked him. You know, he wasn't who I thought, like that stereotypical venture capitalist, you know, wealthy guy would, would be. He was, he was a true kind of wine. He had a lot of passion for wine, and particularly Burgundy. Um, so and I felt and I kind of felt bad for him honestly because I think it's easy in our industry for those folks to get taken advantage of right. Sure. Um, so I I went back met with my wife about six months later I moved down uh, to help him replant Alpine and build Reese Vineyards so I planted all the vineyards for him built the wineries uh, two wineries. Um, the caves and, yeah. and all that. Um, and, and that's quite the place. And that's, it's... I, I mean, Reese's, it's the layout is, I, I mean, at the time, it was kind of one of a kind, right? It was yeah, very, I mean, very high technology kind of level. Was that correct? Or yeah, I well, mistaken? I mean, it, it was, I think for for me... All gravity it, flow? It was, yeah, it was totally different than anything I was familiar with up in Oregon, right? Because um, I was just planting, I was planting vineyards. I not yet really got into winemaking, even though I, I certainly sat in, like at Domain Serene and with Tony and asked a lot of questions and I would sort fruit because I was bringing them the fruit, right? And that's just kind of what you did as a, as a vineyard guy back then. Um, but I was, I was really interested in, in kind of, because I, I was an organic farmer since I was 13, you know, and I insist everywhere I went, I farmed organically. There's no other option because I didn't know any other way. So for me, it was like the easy way of farming. It's just called farming. It's, right, it's exactly. Just farming. Yeah, yeah. It's just called farming. There was right. no other. There was no other way. To call the other stuff chemical farming, organic farming is just farming. It's just growing things. <laughs> That's awesome. And so, so here, the he really was like, look, I just want to create the best, the best vineyards, the best winery, in you know, because he had the funds to do it. And he just didn't have the know-how necessarily. Um, and he was a busy guy. He didn't have the time either. And so that kind of started me on a whole another journey. Um, and so we, we, 
didn't really finish the winery until about 2008, and, and he had been sending me to Burgundy every year to work with all the, the wineries that he had been buying from. So I got to spend a lot of time with, with Wait, Christophe Were Rimmier. you drinking any wine when you went to Burgundy? I told him once. So, and you're like, so I got, I got oh, I used hooked. to cook with this stuff. So I got, I got totally hooked on, on Burgundy, and now I don't drink any Burgundy because I can't afford it, right? Um, I have, I have, well, honestly, I don't think I've had a, a, a wine from Burgundy in four years probably. And, and even then, that I'm sure someone else gave you know, shared it with me. Um, the best Burgundy is the Burgundy that somebody else paid for. Yeah, for sure. Um, but he would he would leave what, four or five bottles a night out in his when I started working for him out on his porch, and every morning I'd go pick him up, right? And that was my education. And then I go I would spend about six months or six weeks a year in Burgundy in November um, after our harvest there in Sandridge Mountain. So I, I I try to learn. But then one thing I also learned really quickly at, at, in Burgundy is that there's four stories for every story. Right. And so I, when I started to go, I would, I would go with him and his partners. And when we go to see somebody as a group, like the amount of real information we got was very, very little. Um, but then when I spent time by myself and, and started to build relationships like Veronique Druin was someone that really, really helped me a lot. Um, and partly because of her connection with Domain Druin in, in Oregon. Right. Um, she spent a tremendous amount of time with me with real information like this is the real information type stuff. Um, as well as Christophe Rumier, and as well as Aubert de Blaine, too. Like, like they, they really, all of them opened up. And then, and, you know, uh, DRC was just uh, experimenting with biodynamics as well at that time. And I'm not digging DRC, just for the record. Fuck <laughs> <laughs> them. Right? Right? Exactly. Um, and so, so we, and I was doing the same thing in, because that was what, what Kevin, uh, the owner of Reese, kind of how he wanted to farm. And which was was fairly dogmatic in a way, but it at least forced me to like, okay, you got to learn this shit. Like, like what makes sense and what doesn't. And I, and so I went down that path. I mean, making, quickly making compost, there's science to it also, you know, right. there's, t there's technique that's, you know, it's timing. So yeah. Yeah. And, and then today I'm totally against compost, right? Manure compost. So, so it's like you go full circle as you, as you actually start doing some of these things yeah, and, and learning also. from it. Um, but it's a long you know story, what? We'll, right? we'll give we'll give you a break. We'll stop okay, there at Reese. Cool. Thank you. Um, uh, but one last question. So between Reese and Hanzel. So I, I um, consulted the restructuring for Randall Graham at Bonnie Dune. Right. With Cotto Solo and sold off that, that brand and a few other things. Um, I helped with the acquisition of Flowers Vineyard Winery for right. Jane and Walt okay. Flowers with the Huneas family. Yep. So I came on and... and um, Ran uh, flowers for about four years. Okay. Enter Sonoma County. Enter right. Sonoma, Enter County. Sonoma County. Exactly. Mm -hmm. um, and then I also did the restructuring for the Glett family at Clodoval with their uh, companies around the world. Now, was was Tony Tony Biaggi part of that? Was that timing where you that, guys? I was before that. You were before Tony. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Um, another past guest. So, and I just remember that Tony worked there. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, we'll give you a break. Um, pretty wild life yeah. story yeah. I mean just acknowledge that from from Lodi and Thornton and to freaking DRC yeah, it's uh, been a while yeah, yeah. Right. with with some stops at some dead shows yeah. and some right but yeah you, you could have stopped at DRC and it would have been fine though <laughs> uh, well I mean I have no there's like no association with them whatsoever right, no, other than just a young you, kid you knocking on the door yet. right <laughs> and and just asking a ton of questions um, and and give it to them actually for like being open yeah. to accepting that 
right? They didn't have to see. I, it. I have so. a picture of a group of friends of mine when we were in Burgundy trying to get in DRC, and there's someone inside just saying, "Go on, go on," and you know, <laughs> "Go away," and and we tried to say, well, "But we're important. We're from Sonoma," and there was nothing. So we went and found the vineyard, and I think everybody peed on a vine. Yeah, kind of a, it's dynamic. Uh, uh, before we get into <laughs> to break, is there something? Jason, um, about just like the innocence that you had and sort of open mind approaching these places without, you know, uh, there was, who, I think it was actually Randall Graham who tweeted the other day that, you know, was teaching a class on how he got over his UC Davis education. Um, Fresno. Yeah, to to Fresno students. Um, Is there something about that, like, you didn't have any formal education or ego or preconceived notions that opened those doors to you or that kind of like you're you kind of went into it with yeah this blank I, I think slate? I mean I certainly appreciate today all like just yeah asking all the questions and all the people that were just willing to kind of spill the beans right yeah. I think that was a different time in the industry mm-hmm. I don't think the young our, our young farmers today have access which is why we try to give that access at Hansel as kind of an open place where you can come and learn whatever you want. I mean, that as a community, that's what we need to do. And, yeah. you know, I mean, I, I would say that we try to do that here, you know, share everybody's information. Yeah. Moderately and, educational. But I, th- I think the one thing that I'm also grateful for that kind of has shaped a lot of my, my beliefs is not having the funding. Right. I mean, having to do things in a, in a way where like these are exactly, these are the resources you have, make it work, Uh, which is one thing like the, with the, the Reese dynamic where it was polar opposite of that. um, It allowed me to do a ton of research. So I digged into, like, I became a, just a data freak. And they actually, the, the venture first sponsored me to go get an MBA. So I went back to college and did all that stuff oh, wow. too. And, and, and I learned a lot from that. And then I was able to actually utilize the data in a way that I would never have been able to use life before because I had, I had just no understanding of how to, how to run those, that type of analysis. Um, so I appreciated that part of it. But then I, what I learned during that process too is that you end up, it, it can lead you to a lot of bad practices. Right. right? Having too much money can be a problem in our industry. Yeah, you watch people go drop millions of dollars on, you know, ready land in Napa, and it, it seems, it looks easy on the top. But the way you did it coming up through it, I mean, that's the way you should do it. Yeah. What a perfect education. Yeah. So, Brandon, what about you? Follow that. Yeah, follow yeah, that. Wow. Hey. Yeah, no um, That's not going to be difficult. Follow. Yeah. Um, tell us a little bit about you. First of all, what exactly is your position? And I'm sorry, I'm going to do this. Is it HanzelWines.com? All oh, right. It's no, Hanzel.com. H-A-N-Z-E-L-L. Dot com. Um, uh, follow at Hanzel Farm. Um, uh, you're, you're the farmer, essentially. Yeah. The farmer that's not the grape farmer. Well, I get involved. Everybody at Hansel, no matter what their job description is, is involved with grapes. Got it. For sure. Yeah. Whether you're in the office or you're an intern, uh, Jason certainly gets his uh, dirt under his nails. <laughs> yeah, and his money out of me, right? Yeah. Um, it's his day off today, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, point. Right, right. No, so, so yeah, farm manager. So uh, before I, I joined the team, you know, everybody was kind of 
band-aiding together, you know, my job description, you know, various people, three or four people, including a lot of Jason's time. Um, he, he saw the need to create a position called farm manager on site because of the, just the growing demand for the way that we were going, bringing animals onto the land. And, and, I, and, and I, think, I think we need to back up here yeah. because this all kind of starts with the start, started commitment to going to organic, right? And yes. then yeah. And whatever biodynamic processes that you're doing, I, I don't know if you're getting certified or not. Um, but yeah, we should start on that. Like, like. So I'll just the compost starts a different color. Yeah, I'll cover that piece. Oh, okay. So and, and then that kind of segues into Brandon coming on board and and how sort of incredible that has been for us as a whole. And so when I started in 2014, I kind of promised the team, look, I'm not going to make any changes for a couple of years. Like I, I, I knew Hansel because I always used the Chardonnay, especially as one of my benchmark wines in every tasting, especially with flowers and with Reese. Like that's, that was for me, the pinnacle Chardonnay in California, um, Coastal. vintage after vintage. It just blew me away, mm. um, for a good reason. Right. And so I was like, I'm not going to do anything for a couple of years. And then in 16, I was full bore, right? I brought, I brought animals to the property because I've been farming with animals since 2005. I feel it's absolutely critical to my success, to, to my system working. And so I, it took a couple years to build trust with the team and with the owner and like, you know, that's, that's tried it. And I had a lot of things going on at the time in the business side of the Pantel to, to focus on any house. I really didn't have the time to devote to the farming. So 2016, we brought the puppies on, which was part one with bringing animals onto the property, right? Get yeah. guardian dogs yeah. settled and set. And then the pigs and then the sheep and chickens and geese and ducks have kind of all followed. Um, and we, we did that for a few years as we were building our vegetable integration, our gardens and all that half-assed because mm. I, 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 it was just my wife and I, the, the vegetable gardens in the beginning, it was really me and one of the young guys, Matt, that had been apprenticing with me for, since Reese days, since 2008, he was my Reese intern. And then he's kind of went with me with flowers and a bunch of other places. And he kind of helped me in those early days at, um, at Hensel. Now he's growing cannabis in Oklahoma. Um, as one would do. As one would do, right? Amazing. Uh, and then so Brandon and I actually had known each husband almost 15 years now. Yeah, our, our kids. Our daughters did gymnastics together. So we were the, we were the, the right. gymnastics dads following right? our kids to these gym meets all over the state. Yeah. And, of course, Jason was paying attention to what I was doing uh, yep. at home so. mostly, you know, kind of uh, micro farming in a way. At Tole. Uh, at, yeah, at a, at, a, at a regional park, Sonoma County Regional Park. So I, I worked 18 years as a supervising ranger. Okay, I, I saw a little something about that, yeah. and, but it, it didn't seem that you were just a ranger. It seemed like you had a very specific job. Well, I was caretaking uh, one of the newer parks at the time southern in southern Sonoma County, big, culturally relevant, a lot of archaeology, yeah. um, a lot of ranching history, farming history, grape growing history, um, and running animals. And so being the resident ranger there, I got, uh, I got involved with all that. So I lived on site there for 11 years with my family. My son was born in the farmhouse there. Um, uh, my daughter, when we were living on the Russian River, another park, uh, she was born there. Um, but yeah, work in parks entirely. But I grew up in Los Angeles County. And so the moment uh, I graduated high school, where the only thing that was that you saw that was green was yeah. in a baggie, one of those sort of things. Yeah, yeah, eating, a lot of lawns. There's a lot yeah, of lawns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> irrigated lawns. lawns, lots of that. But uh, I escaped. Yeah, the the day of graduating high school, I packed up my 1968 Ouch. Volkswagen and, and drove north uh, in pursuit of something a little bit more um, 
uh, sanity and, and, and a place to see the horizon. And, and, and I landed in, in the Bay Area and started working parks. Um, met my wife working parks. And then she's from Petaluma. And when I met her in the Bay Area, I, I said, where's Petaluma? <laughs> <laughs> never, never, never been that far. Key yeah. Yeah. I, don't, I, I still don't know where yeah. Petaluma is. <laughs> yeah, right. Hard to get out of Sonoma Valley. And did she, she grow up in Petaluma? What's her name? She did. Michelle Lofton. Yeah, big Greek family. Yeah. East Sider, Casa Grande. Yeah. Okay, look at that. <laughs> yes. Um, right. And so then there was a time once Jason was clear on the job description that he was creating for farm manager, uh, he reached out to me. And I, at the time, having spent just about a whole career with county parks, um, I got to the point where I was just kind of handcuffed to a desk, you know, definitely not what I signed up for. Um, yeah, so my body and my, my, my soul was just screaming to get back out into the earth. Um, and it, it came at a really wonderful time, you know, asking myself for all those, like, uh, uh, all those real, real, you know, midlife crisis questions, you know, uh, looking for, for what's next. And, and, and then wham, you know, kind of landed it in, in, my, in my lap. So what was the first thing he told you that he wanted you to do? Like, you know, that you were like, come and, come and check it out, come and see what we're doing, you know? And of course, through, through years of family gatherings and holidays and drinking wine together and talking and chatting it up, talking about Yosemite back in where he was, you know, with connection, working parks, um, uh, and what he's got going on now. He invited me up to look at the place. Uh, um, and it was, a, it was a big nod, you know, it was, it was a real, uh, I was really appreciative that he had that in mind, you know, my, you know, what I have going on and what I bring to the table, um, and creating the job description. Well, and, uh, we haven't necessarily acknowledged how park-like the Hanzel oh, property huge, is, huge, right? I mean, exactly. most of it is, is wildland. 200 acres right. and only 46 is planted. Everything right. else is, is essentially unmaintained native mature forest right. yeah. and it and it varies from all the way down at the bottom of the property up to the very top of the ridge line it's right. it's so diverse so one of my big jobs other than being the farm manager is really a property manager in a way i'm managing the forest um, i've been uh, working with the pigs in the forest to reduce fire fuels um, just because the fire history on the property you know dates back to i was just talking to bill montini on our fence line you know and uh, he said it's probably been since the 1960s or so that a real fire actually came through. Um, Jasmine only is very quick, John. Don't worry. <laughs> One more ring. Oh, oh, oh got it. It. One ring. <laughs> yeah. So, so you know, if I'm not every day, if um, I'm uh, if I'm not doing something about reducing the fire fuel on the property, then I feel like it's a disservice to the whole property because it's all about when the next one comes, just making it less intense. Uh, you know what? Explained. There's a bunch of people that are like pigs reducing fire oh, right, hazard. Right. Did I lose half the audience. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's talk about that. <laughs> okay. A little bit. Well, and then and then talk about oh, we'll talk about that and then I'll, I'll talk further about the fire aspect yeah. of it because of where Please. Hansel is in relation to the rest of the town. To the town. Right. And and knowing, uh, you know, in seventeen, how much of Hansel was used as essentially the fire break sure. that they protected town a lot so yeah i mean it's it's crucial not only to just your lands yeah. but also yeah. the community at large right 
Sure. So, so it's, you know, bookended by roads. So Norbaum Road being a prominent one and, and Hansel's everything uphill from it. So there's a risk there. Uh, last in this year, in, we had five fires on neighboring properties and they all go uphill from there. So every time there was one, we were all well, in desperate communication. Going up Norbaum, it's just all tinder. That's it. I mean, the whole thing could go instantaneously all the way up. I mean, I don't, I don't know how it's patrolled or controlled. Well, for the most part, it hasn't been, right? Yeah. Point right. To, yeah. to the point yeah. with Brandon. So what we've done is uh, we've bifurcated our grazing team. So Jason mentioned we have sheep, chickens, ducks, geese, two wild, uh, guardian dogs. But we also have a fleet of, of American guinea hogs. And the hogs uh, are a great element to the um, you know regenerative program. Their manure and what they do to the land is great in the vineyard sense. Um, but left unchecked for too long, they can get to some real, you know, serious plowing. And so, so what we did is, uh, uh, we like to move the grazing team as as much as we can and quick, you know, flash graze across the vineyard, but, uh, you know, any, anything more than a day or two and the pigs really get going. So what we've done, like I say, bifurcated them. So we, we put them in the woods. So they've been moving full tilt since last grazing season and, and they haven't stopped since. So we make these, uh, uh, electric fence uh, paddocks that are quite small and we move them through the woods and so that what they're doing is they're just chewing up all the down debris and stomping on everything eating poison oak uh, breaking down all the woody you know stuff that would otherwise be fuel yeah uh, and and as they move their way through everything to get to the grubs get to the acorns and the bay nuts they're breaking all that understory stuff down and just kind of pounding it into the ground making soil and then i go in with chainsaws and i take out the bigger stuff that they're not able to and then i drag it out and then we have a a day or two a year where we have a chipper we rent the biggest machine in town (laughs) and we make we make wonderful wonderful there's one ring let's see if we got a two two rings Oh, got it. Remember that when you're calling 16600. As long as Jasmine's here, the the phone will get answered quickly. (laughs) So it's it's a it's an ambitious project. It's 150 acres of that, Um, and I figure basically once you finish, you have to start start over again. Like painting the Golden Gate Bridge. It's the same idea. Yeah, but it's very exciting. So that's that's another element to the farm that we do is managing those woods. And so back in 17, your 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 question about that, what happened to the property? Well, a couple of ridges behind is what what burned um, and because of that we we another uh, bookend is is uh, Lomita Road and Michael Drive and so Cal Fire came in with put dozers and plowed a fire line on our southern boundary and knocked down a whole lot of stuff eucalyptus yes right and other things um, and they maintain that fire line and and since then we've cleaned it up and we're thinking about planting maybe a cider orchard uh, oh, that's cool. flowers yeah, I mean yeah, yeah. A real, you know another cool thing if it's you know it could become a, a commodity of some kind or it just enriches the families that that rely on on yeah. Anzel farm when did cool. eucalyptus trees go from cool to really bad they were never cool in my mind I, yeah I, don't know. I just got i, I dug it when uh, we used to come into town on highway 12 mm-hmm. and you, you'd go past it and then smell it and it's right. like oh man we're back in sonoma again yeah. you know yeah. i mean cool. uh, you know milo shepherd who was the great grand nephew of jack london mm-hmm. you know he said that in london's writings that he he decided that he made a mistake with the eucalyptus very early um so, you know, I guess he would be the first one to realize that it wasn't the right thing to do. Well, he, supposedly it was the wrong eucalyptus 
species that he brought in, for one thing. Because hmm. the whole point was it grows fast for lumber, um, but yeah. the kind that he brought, that Jack London brought, um, like spirals as yeah, it grows. Exactly. And so you can't use it for, it's useless as a, as a lumber would. Uh, yeah. Mostly just good for falling on people and starting fires. Seriously. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely and, that, and that's what really, like, killed the eucalyptus was... I think actually out there on Highway 121 coming into town is yeah. a branch fell and killed someone, and that sort of started the cutting them all off of public lands and, and highways and stuff like that. Lakeville well, Highway. And, 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 you know, in the West County, um, farmers planted them, you know, as windbreaks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and if you drive out that way, you can see, you know, the way, the way they're arranged. Um, but, yeah, they still seem to thrive out there. Yeah, along, all along Lakeville Highway yeah. as well. Yeah, and, and even, like, going out towards Valley Ford and yeah, Tomales yeah. out there, yeah. there's big stands that were planted for windbreaks. The tough part, too, it's, it's complicated, like everything. Now, great horned owls, red-tailed hawks, they've all sort of treating right. them like native trees, and they're nesting in them and using yeah. them as habitat, which is... Well, they're good and tall, and... Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. How do you, Brent, how do you keep the geese and the ducks... Like, do you bring them in when they're little chicks and then they basically grow up on the property and then don't they want some water source to hang out in? Yeah, um, we get them, we get all our birds when they're young or we hatch our own. Um, and when they're big enough, we bring them out and integrate them into the rest of the team. And the geese have been all-stars this year. It's been a, been a new, new trial. So we got a dozen of them and they're, they're amazing grazers. Everybody's got a niche, right? Other chickens do their thing with, with, uh, scratching and flaking apart manure and keeping the larva down. And they, they just tag team with the, uh, the pigs and they just follow along and scratch along the, the, the geese are broadleaf grazers. It's amazing. They, they go for the flower tips of our cover crop and they go for the, the broad leaves of everything else that's growing and leave the soil alone it's yeah, really machines. amazing yeah and they lay great eggs too just right. giant eggs you find them in the vineyard during grazing season it's yeah. pretty cool oh. um how do we yeah water so we have literally a uh, little ag uh kiddie pool like things features that we drag along uh wherever whatever vineyard block we're grazing in we bring that set up with us it's kind of a mobile um kind of a base camp in a way we have these big skid shelters that we drag and we tow along with our utvs and then um our mobile chicken coops are on wheels. Um, it's a really neat program. Yeah, it's cool to see. You know, I you see it, like really the most exposed that Hansel Vineyards are is on Norbaum Road. Yeah. As you're going up, it's the first vineyard really that you see on the left as you're heading up the hill. You could see it from Girl you can, and Fig. You can see it from the. You can see it from all over. Well, when Phil and Bob Sessions, my dad, planted that block. Yes, yes, uh, yes. When they cleared it, it was like literally town was <laughs> up in arms. <laughs> it was it was torches and pitchforks, oh and um, uh-huh. Phil went to a city council meeting, and and because it was you know going to be organically farmed, and yeah. it was it was you know he was the one doing the development with Bob, you know. Uh, the, the torches were put away yeah, yeah. For, until the next time that they were brought out, which is pretty frequent um, because it was, you know, the viewscape of town. Everybody was freaked out. Mm. Um, but it is – my point of saying this wasn't about that. It was uh, about the setup, the, mm. the base camp because mm-hmm. you see it there when you guys bring it down and you park it, you know, on that vineyard road right at the bottom. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a pretty – like it's a 
pretty intensive uh, and cool. impressive, stru- you know, yeah. series of structures and the fences, and then watching the animals, you know, work their way through the vineyard block. Or you know, it takes a few days, right? Uh, yeah, it does, and that's my job. Right. So uh, uh, we'll we'll sit on that base camp and have them work, you know, seven or eight rows, and then we'll move it move systematically it. Yeah. across the property. We we try to get to as much as we can during the grazing season because you're it's a balancing of when's a cover crop ready to bring them out and right. when. Uh, bud break happens that's when the, the sheep really go for the plants so we want right. to guard the plants and so we kind of move them off at that time and get them onto our uh, keep them on site we have a, a two acre paddock that we have them in their little summer vacation home and they're just, <laughs> they just get fat happy and lazy and we bring food to them it's yeah, kind of right. <laughs> yeah so it's part of the cover crop program we'll we'll do some of the baling and we feed them some of the cover crop that we've cut already and bring that right. to them or organic alfalfa it's a big it's a big uh, dance um are the animals? Do you do you harvest the animal? You know, you have this these sort of many herds and flocks. Yeah. Are you harvesting any? Is there any like going into to meat production, or is it all? So our goal is for them, them to live as long as we can get them to be on the grazing team. That's mm-hmm. the main goal. And and it, but if if one of them like, you know, we had the sire to all the the piglets. It was very aggressive. It was dangerous for us to have that. So that right. you know he became Carnitas. Right. So you know in the in the farming ways that's what happens. And so, but the primary goal is to graze and and to put that nutrients back into the soil, build the soil. It's cool. part of that program. Well, when you were talking about all the animals you had, it sounded like Cassoulet right out of a French barnyard. <laughs> it really <laughs> did. Yeah. You know, add this. You got to start with like the lamb and the pork. Big, and the duck big the beans goose. growing in the garden and perfect right. man seriously yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. <laughs> they benefit from all that too so especially lately we just pulled all the all the you know pumpkins and all the very ripe produce out of all of our gardens right. and we just bring them by the by the literally truckload to to the pigs mainly while they're working the forest just to give them a little yeah. supplemental goodness. they love those pumpkins yeah, yeah. nothing's better than watching an animal eat a pumpkin right it's like it's the coolest the sound. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yes, yes. Um, so a couple just quick questions. Are you still um, baling hay? And are you still crimping? Yes. Um, and what else did someone want me to ask you about? Oh, are you going to join the um, the Moon Mountain um, Vintners uh, uh, group? Hmm. It wasn't me that asked that question. First, Paul. Um I, I don't know. Are you? I don't know. We've done events together. I don't know if you guys are members or not. We'd be. I. I, I don't think we're members. Okay. We'd be happy to though. All right. I, I don't get out much. Like I said, this a is the first little, time I've been off the farm with a little member people. recruitment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Absolutely. Perfect. Send yeah. a check. Yeah. I'll have somebody. I'll have somebody <laughs> find it. Yeah. But, uh, send you an invoice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. That's how it works typically, right? Uh, yes. But but to the to the crimping and the bailing, you know, the crimping is is absolutely critical to the to the system. There's no one. I, I, wouldn't you say, Brandon? I mean, crimping is probably the most important number one yeah. thing yeah. we do. So you're still doing. Oh, without yeah. question, we, everything, you know, every piece of back land. Kind of. Well, I'll yeah. t- talk about the system. Okay. Um, you know, we've we talk about farming a lot, but um, so let's kind of you know, obviously the animals are a piece of it. Cover crops. It's organic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's it's beyond and it's a, it's a holistic you know full circle kind of situation well so. pour some pinot while we talk yeah good idea <laughs> <laughs> yeah god i'm glad brian's here man he keeps us on track this is it um so so let's talk about the goals of the system i guess is the easiest way to talk about it because there's really no definition that captures i guess what 
uh, you know, because now, like, you have all these buzzwords, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it's regenerative or biodynamic, whatever. I, I, we just we're just doing what we're doing. Yeah. Um, and and the goal really is number one, carbon sequestration, right? Um, number two is creating fertility year over year without any offsite amendments. So the the goal, and and it's when you think it's very simple. The goal is to be a completely closed system. So right now, the only thing we're bringing in offsite is sulfur. So it's really the only fungicide that I'm using today, um, with some biologicals mixed in. But I'm not a huge fan of, of biologicals. If I, if I can get by with just sulfur, I would. Eventually, as as the immune system in our system continues to build and get stronger, I think we can go away from spraying completely. Um, so it's really just capturing, like having that very basic goal, and then. Everything we do every day is in relationship to that. Like, is this the right thing to do? Is this the, is this the right input today? And what does that mean? And so, with so the, as a, the system evolves throughout the the year, like right now, you know, we're planting cover crops. Cover crops are pretty key to the overall fertility program. One, it provides forage for the animals during the grazing season. Um, So we have to be really careful on the cover crops themselves. We try to get as much diversity of species as possible. It can't be more than about 50% legumes is is the goal there because then you get bloating issues and things like that. Um, And so, and then it has to be suitable for for, um, baling as well as crimping. So, so we go through, plant the cover crops. So we get the animals on to graze as soon as the cover crop is suitable for it. They graze up until the point. So, and, and when is that? Like, I mean, right now, and this year is well, obviously year early. Is an anomaly, yeah. Right, because yeah. It, we got so much rain so early, yeah, yeah. and now we have this sunshine that's growing cover. So, is it? I mean, obviously, it's not a, it's not a calendar date. It's a. It's four it's inches a, or so. Okay. Yeah, um, and because so that's it, almost that's now. It's now. Yeah. So so we just set up the the fence, and Brandon's kind of t- going through and now looking at all the equipment, the chicken coop. Everything kind of has to be right. rebuilt every and year, right? Yeah. Everything's so, gonna get muddy. Uh, no, totally. So rebuilling chicken coops, we're yeah. checking the, the solar chargers for the fence, yeah. and of course yeah. the batteries have now been sitting forever, so they're corroded. Like you just go through yeah. it, and and that's kind of the stage we're in. So next week uh, we'll get the animals on the property, and then that starts that whole new kind of evolution of the system. So then it's all about grazing all the way up until crimping time basically so we we graze we will move they're only in one section of the vineyard for about two days mm-hmm. um so early on we'll move them faster one or two days yeah. and then as a cover crop gets you know 12 to three feet um, maybe they can go in there for three to four days but we just do smaller sections at that point because right. because overgrazing is is the worst thing we can do in our system so it's, it's about having them take one bite off of the cover and then move on and not try to cherry pick what they want to eat and what they don't want to eat. So, so by doing what called mob grazing, so, you know, a lot of animals in, in a very small space, you get more efficient uh, grazing that way. This, um, is, this is really similar to like the Stemple Creek carbon farming yeah. method, right? It's, it's, yeah, yeah. it's small lot, frequent moves. Yeah, yeah, yeah Gate exactly. Brown in North Dakota is, yeah. is really one that has spearmented, mm-hmm. spearheaded this in, in cattle, um, livestock there, and, and the introduction of cover cropping even in an area where they have four months of growing season. Right. So they right. will cherry pick if they can? Oh, without oh, yeah. question. What, yeah. what are their favorites, and what do they ignore? Well, I, also, they will go after legumes. I mean, they will devour legumes like it's no tomorrow, uh, even to the point of, like, massive bloating, the sheep particularly. Um, but we have such a diversity. Like, today, I don't, yeah. do you see cherry picking today happening in the cover crop? 
Uh, no, the sheep will hit the flowers first. I think that's their yeah. their favorites, and then then they'll go deeper into it. Yeah, they'll do a big race around, figure out their their new paddock, and then uh, then go from there. But with with the diversity of the animals too, it's kind of a a big you know free for all in a way where yeah. everybody's kind of going after their their and niche. Are they all like in? in the is it, are they together? Yes, they all. So it's yeah. the sheep, it's the the ducks, the geese. Uh, the pigs too all so uh because i have the pigs in the forest we're right. most likely going to keep them in the forest uh, we may play around with a smaller uh um another uh we may start with younger pigs to to join oh, the right, grazing team this right. year and just kind of keep the pigs in the forest where they're doing good work uh, right. uh, we'll see but then you have the the guardian dogs too are with them as well um in the in the space and, and yeah, but in the past few years, the pigs have been out in the vineyard as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. The pigs yeah. on that. This is the first year where we're kind of thinking of keeping them in the, in the forest and doing their good work there. It's really good use uh, of them, and, and it just takes a long time to get through. And, and also, acres. as wet as it is, it almost seems like in the vineyards, the pigs would do more damage they faster. They definitely right? will. You would yeah. feel it with your tractor later in the season when it dries out. Because they do tend to root up a little yeah, bit. Yeah. yeah. Scary. And and talk about how important the, the dogs are, because... I know I can tell you that I was part of certain trying to introduce animals to a property and yeah. it never lasted very long. Yeah. yeah exactly. We wouldn't be able to do it without the dogs. Yeah. So otherwise we'd have to move them all inside a barn and lock them up. Um, the big cats and the coyotes as they work in teams on the property and they're there. I mean, we have a, a wildlife corridor on that property. The fences aren't, you know, they're not really well maintained cause it hasn't been a big priority of ours. And so they're definitely there. Um, Dogs. Two dogs, brother and sister. They came at the same time as we got our lambs, so they're they're like all siblings are. They're just really tight. Yeah, and they're four and a five, almost five now, and they're doing great. Like I said, they're up all night, and we have GPS collars on them, so we could see in real time the their work they're doing. Yeah, it's, they cover they cover massive ground at night just within yeah. the bit. Yeah, Merima sheepdogs is what they're 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 breed from central Italy. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's not that they're attacking the those other animals. It's just the mere presence and the smell and the sound. For that, sure. You know, that, yeah. that, that's keeping the other animals away. They even give a bark to, to turkey vultures as they fly over, as if they're a threat. Yeah, it's kind of funny, but their presence yeah, is... Yeah, so do my dogs. Ah, my dogs, there's hope for my dog. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Ours bark at the Canadian geese, and there are a lot of them going over now. Uh-huh. And, yeah. they, and they even land in our big so oaks. Yeah, they are. <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually, I think they're all coming from Spring Lake Park. That's where they like to stay year-round. My dog Snowbirds. does none of the above. Just lays there like as deer walk through my backyard and uh, squirrels are eating all the wall. It just lays there. It's lab. Must be a lab. I was going to say, must be a lab, yeah. And I, I mean, I can't even get him interested in ducks or geese. He's just like, nothing. Uh, nah. Nah. He's interested in the next, the next treat, a person, a ball. Yeah. <laughs> and we've got two corgis and those big oak trees. And with all of the acorns this year, because it's a yeah, bumper crop, yeah, yeah. and they just go nuts. They have... It's, it's, it's a party. We have very, very heavy squirrels at our place, man. Uh, yeah, so do we, actually. The, that's what the pigs are devouring right now, are the oh, acorns. Oh, good year for us, man. man. I mean, it's just going some? at it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, as as admirable as it is, they, you want these animals to live their entire lives. Sure. One of those pigs that ate a bunch of acorns would be really yeah, freaking so delicious. Good, right? yeah. A miracle lardo. Yeah. A little Pinot Noir, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe. 
Hey, this Pinot is beautiful, yeah. by the way. Oh, it's thank you. Really, yeah, really nice. One of our experimental wines. So, uh, you know, I'm a huge fan of whole cluster Pinot Noir, of course. Um, yeah. Spent the vast majority of my career only making whole cluster Pinot Noir. And, and historically, Hansel had not done whole, a lot of whole cluster. I mean, Mr. Sessions started in about the 80s. Um, experimenting a little bit with some whole cluster just to try to min- minimize some of the tannin. Um, you know, on volcanic soils, as we all know, like these these wines want to be quite structured and with a lot of tannin. Um, but n- there's never been 100% whole cluster fermented wine from Hansel, so this was kind of a little nod to what is that would be. Is it a field be. blend also? No, this is ex- uh, exclusively from the Debris Vineyard. Okay. Yep, planted in 1976. So... Should we talk a little? I mean, about the wine, I guess. Hmm? I mean, it is a. Yeah. I mean, we don't have to, but we we'll just I talk about the, the maybe the vineyard, um, as far as breakdown varietal blocks, vine age, mm-hmm. and then a couple of the things that you know the, the Hansel Farm experimental sure, stuff yeah, and sort yeah. of what you're, the wines that you produce off of it. As Brandon mentioned, we have 46 acres planted today, um, the oldest planting being back 1953, which is about four acres of that left, both Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. How's it looking? It's actually looking very good. Mm, cool. Um, I mean, too. Yeah. Uh, we're, you know, the... And is the oldest Chardonnay and Pinot Noir in California, is that true, or is that not quite... I'm, I'm always afraid to say anything's right. the oldest, right? Because you just right. never, you never until know. Until so, so, gonna... Five vines that were in a backyard exactly that you played right. in in Lodi, that, right? But, yeah, exactly, yeah. As far as I know, there's, I don't believe any bottlings out there of a Chardonnay that is older than the 60-plus years that right. the uh, Ambassador's Vineyard bottling would be, right? I, that I know of. I, but I, I, I imagine there are, especially in sort of, you know, San Jose, Mount Eden, right, right, Mark right. Rail yeah, day, yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. there's there's old vines in some of those backyards. Yeah. Um, so I imagine there's there's some. So that, that that's the oldest. And then we have some planted in 72 and 76. Um, and then in 90, 91, your the sessions in right. right and then in 2001 was ramos was planted and then 2008 was the last planting in in zellerbach um so it's predominantly chardonnay about 33 acres of it chardonnay and then a little around 12 acres of of pinot noir and mm-hmm. then uh just a little about acre and a half two acres of cab um, or bordeaux varieties so we are chardonnay house more or less yeah. That's good. We can stop talking about that. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just kidding. Yeah, yeah. Um, when the the winery itself was the building was built at the same time in the 50s, same, right? Yeah, 50, and that's 50, the still 50, the winery that's still the facility that's in use. No, so now the, oh, the, no. the old yeah the old heritage winery is more of a museum today. Okay. So it still houses the first stainless steel you know fermentation tanks in right, the right, world right. and things tasting like that. Space as well. Yeah, um, so it's a, a part of our tasting space, our hospitality space, uh, an office space. It's where my office is. Um, but the new winery is built in 2003. Okay. And so we have some caves now, and then the outdoor fermentation space. Sam, you made a comment that they used Hansel as a giant fire break. Um, where did it part of part of the sort of like fire break? Right, okay, can, the top can of the you valley. guys uh, kind of detail that? I mean, I know it's a bad memory, uh, but you were you live right there too. Well, and, and, and you know, I we used they went through. We used Hanzel as our as our. Um, so hopefully, nobody at Cal Fire uh, is listening. <laughs> Staging um, area, <laughs> the sheriff's department. Um, there's a there's a way through Hanzel to Norbaum Road. Yep. Yeah. Uh, around 
and as it was, at least for the first around few the first few days, it was a, it was around the roadblocks, um, and that's how we were getting through up to the top of the mountain until for a week until until um, we got caught leaving. My brother got and my dad got caught leaving, uh, and. Is this the, uh, are these the hippie guys are these with the, the right, tie-dye are they t-shirts? Yeah, they're, are they they're wearing tie-dye? Yeah, it's the we Kateris. want them. Uh, <laughs> and that, that's when we got our, took getting caught to get our permit to go into these places, you know, in certain in certain times uh, to get back into the vineyards. Yeah. So. so was it the same adage in the past where the, the vines didn't burn because they're So the, the fire did not reach the, the property. Yeah. But you know, we border, our south end of the property borders Michael Drive. So literally there's a whole row of houses that are on our southern border. And so if, 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 Hanzel, if the fire kind of pushed through Hanzel, there would have been very little stopping it right because mm-hmm. um, it just go house to house to house from there and and 2017 for, was really the, that that turning point for me where i, I totally understand like there's a huge necessity we have to have someone like brandon on the property because that that you know go rake the forest yeah. <laughs> well not necessarily it's just it's more it's more about eat, eat the forest eat the forest being good yeah. stewards yeah. of of yeah. the property and, and of the area like we have a huge responsibility because of where we're located in relationship to the town itself to do everything we can to ensure um that that doesn't happen right yeah or when it does it's right. just less intense right yeah, yeah. every property needs a brandon Every property mm-hmm. definitely needs <laughs> a brand. Shit, I could use one, man. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> good, good. Could you talk a little about Jose? Oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, Jose, we like to say, he's the kind of the heart and soul of Hanzel itself. He, he walked up the hill in, in 1975 and has been to Hanzel, has been living on the property ever since. Um, Bob Sessions gave him a job on the spot. Um, and Jose is, has been instrumental. And without question, Hanzel would not be where it is today. Everybody with, needs a Jose, too. Without him. And in, in addition to, you know, his, his son Cesar is our cellar master. He's, he's the real winemaker, right? He's doing all the work, make, making all the movements. Um, and his daughters work for us as well. So it, it's really that family, the Ramos family in general, which is why we honor him with this wine that we just had before um, with the, the Ramos Vineyard. Mm-hmm. So that was Chardonnay. the Ramos 2018, Ram, the Ramos selection Chardonnay, um, for those keeping score at home. No mallow, all stainless. No mallow, all stainless. Correct. Um, and it was, it's, it's it's a it's a Brian wine. <laughs> it's it's not the, it's delicious, but it's also it's a Brian wine, right? For sure. And, you know, with Jose, when, when I joined in 14, Jose was sort of working part-time. We had a vineyard management company that had been farming Hensel um, for about seven years prior at that time, maybe even longer. That was, um, um, was that Andrew Avalar? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So there's that, that period between that where, you know, Bob, Bob's health was declining. He really wasn't involved day to day. There was no one on the property that was really that farmer. Um, except for Jose, but I, I think for whatever reason, Ho- Jose uh, uh, started working less part-time. And so first thing he did, brought him back full-time, right? I mean, that, mm-hmm. if he wanted to, that would be that step number one, mm-hmm. <laughs> get the guy back that knows everything about everything, right? And, and he's where all the pipes go. No, exactly, yeah. yeah. Not only that, like, he's got to be the, like, 
the most in tune, kindest, most gentle person on earth, as well as one that has one of the greatest intuitions of anyone I've ever met. And, and that's farming, right? When, when we talk about farming, it, it, like, I don't give a shit where you went to school. I don't care who you work for, mm. what your resume is like. We, we, like, our team is so special because I think all of us have, or, or, or certainly all the team that I work with, has, like, this really great shared like-mindedness and just straight, like, intuition about the philosophical way that we're we're being with the right. place you know and then jose just sort of embodies that well i was gonna say so he fully bought into the animals did he did he look at you like you were nuts at first or was he no ego it's amazing yeah, yeah he's so he totally open well. to it yeah yeah he runs with it yeah yeah even though he's been there for you know a generation he's it seems as if he sees everyone as his equal even the new interns that come on board yeah. there's something to learn from everybody and jose demonstrates that every day well, really and just cool. think about the range of changes and different yeah. styles of farming and just the industry in general mm. sonoma valley in general from 75 to 2020 2021 you know the things that <laughs> the things that i'm sure he's seen consultants suggest up there as the as the as the you know fads and trends and new technologies emerged and you know fade away um over the span of of that time yeah that would be interesting to catalog wouldn't it sam it would be it would 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 be suggested well see see, see, sam has a lot of inside information here is is what this is (laughs) one of those consultants (laughs) tons of things worth dismissing later on so so i think to to, might as well not like beat around the bush right Right. i think the big reason why jose did pull back is because of that there was several consultants in in hansel that you know, and when you think when you have ownership that is, is lives outside the country, and then there's a, you know it's in a family trust, and so there's all these trustees and board members, and, and there's a complicated. There's a, it's a complicated mm-hmm, system, mm-hmm. Um, and so you tend to, without having specific knowledge yourself, you you know, and you're, when you're in those positions, you hire quote sort of experts, right? And then you feel like you have to say do what the expert says because that's why we hired them, right. and why you're going to hire Spend them. All that money, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so I, I, I don't think he was at all in tune or aligned with what was being um, suggested. And there's actually quite – like there was plans for the whole thing to be replanted. Right. Like right when I was starting, and especially the you – know, yeah, there's red blotch and the new Cabernet and stuff. And, it's a, and, it, and in the beginning, it was showing itself, you know, right around June, July. Now you don't see a red leaf until November. Right. right? And it's, it's all about immune system. And so that – and when you look at – when you go back to our goal, like our goal for not only the vineyard, the, the property area, it's all based on a healthy, sustainable immune system for our people. So, you know, so that kind of ties in growing, you know, nutrient-dense foods for all of our staff and incorporating them into the farming process. So that kind of hopefully will influence a little bit in their personal lives and everything else, um, how we how we treat people, you know, day-to-day, whatever, blah, yeah. blah, blah. And geographically, yeah. we're uphill of everything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. yeah. Anything you do literally ends up in a creek in Sonoma. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 yeah, all of us. And that comes to sustainable, you know, water usage and everything, and, and that's what it's all about. Cool. Awesome. It's awesome. Keep up the good work, you guys. Yeah. Mm. What else? Let's talk Cabernet. We got the cab. Oh. It is. Uh, it's technically it's a Moon Mountain District Cabernet. Oh. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. That may, so not yet. <laughs> <laughs> not yet. Sam, I haven't cut the invoice yet. So it's, it's my fault. How would you compare this to uh, a Cayman cab? Uh, oh, I haven't tasted it yet. Um, 
but Hansel in that in that sort of uh, is very much sort of like on the border, right? It's it has this marine influence. It's cooler. It's it's lower elevation than most of what you know you sort of typically would consider Moon Mountain District. Um, you know, soil wise, it's there. You know, the the line for Moon Mountain District is four hundred feet. Because that's where it changes from valley floor sedimentary soils to the volcanic soils, the red clay, you know, those. And you probably see it out there as you come from, you know, come up the driveway. It kind of starts to shift around 400 feet. Um, But hands out. And this goes back uh, even before, because you were in 14 that you came on. So this was whoever was, you know, making these decisions before when Moon Mountain District was 2013. Um, it's it and it, and because it's such iconically a Sonoma Valley brand, um, there has n- never necessarily been a push to put it on a label necessarily Moon Mountain District, but um, you know stylistically, you're in elevation, you're in you're in volcanic soil from a cooler site. So it is you know when you do a Moon Mountain District tasting of Cabernet, you have to you, you, it needs to be included and and. There's also a few other places in the district where you're growing literally, you know, some the best Chardonnay in California. Um, right next to this. Right next, you know, right there. So it is it is really an interesting sort of dichotomy, um, that property on that ridge, you know, but also at this sort of lower elevation mm-hmm. than you think of, you know, anywhere else in the, in the district, really. It, they're making beautiful wines. This is really tasty. Oh, thank you. Yeah, really nice. Problem is, is that the shark, the, the Pinot Noir, is right now has been in the glass for ten or fifteen minutes. Is starting to like yeah, be really right? come out. Yeah, yeah, and I'm yeah, like, yeah. I'm supposed to pour this out and go to the cab. All right, fine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so this is basically our third effort, our second commercial effort. Fifteen was was really the first vintage, and we ch- we didn't sell it. And then sixteen, we we sold a little bit. And seventeen, this is the seventeen here. Um, and it's quite simple. We make it just like Pinot Noir. That's it, right? Really? Even even with whole cluster. So there you go. What what, um, what percentage? So none in this wine. Okay. Um, the the nineteen is going to have a good bit, about twenty five percent or so. Mm-hmm. And then this year we did some hundred percent. Wow. Mm-hmm. Deft skipping over twenty twenty. <laughs> well done. <laughs> did you make it in twenty twenty? Oh yeah, yeah. I actually really like the twenty twenty wines. Yeah. yeah, a lot. Good. I, the, the the wine's delicious, um, and it's 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 California. I mean, it's Sonoma County Cabernet from a previous time, right? Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. it's delicious. It's it's varietally correct, even though it does have some other stuff. It definitely sings out as being Cabernet in my mind. Um, uh, I love the I love the the naturalness of it. Mm. How's that? Is that a word? Naturalness. It is now. You said it. Recorded it. <laughs> Someone will mock me online about it now. I hope so. I, I correct me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm never going to use it again. Naturalness. Uh, and what is the? You guys doesn't taste like there's a whole lot of new oak. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah um, right. We use for maybe about. I don't remember on this particular vintage. It's probably around twenty percent. Twenty thirty percent. Yeah. Uh, we rarely will go above that, um, and we're the, one of the wines this year um, has none, no new oak in it uh, for Cabernet. Yeah. Did you hit your target? 
your taste that you wanted so to do? So I, I love I love California Cabernet. I don't drink a lot of it, um, but most of it's in the same category as all that burgundy that you love. Yeah, well, it's, it's expensive one, but a lot of times the the wines can be so big and overpowering that like it's fun for me to taste, but there's I, it'd be hard to drink a glass or two of it, right? right? So am I going to spend a couple hundred bucks on it? Probably not. Um, But well, like Cabernet, and particularly Sonoma Cabernet, I think just for whatever reason, has a little bit of that old world charm to it that that you would get in older wines. Yeah, it's not all fatted up like Napa. Right. Yeah. Um, And I love Cap Franc. So Cap Franc is probably one of my favorite varietals. and so this has a, a good bit of Cap Franc in it. It was 11% or something on this vintage. Yeah, 12%. 12%, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, as long as you have a target in your mind, you know, that's your taste and, and you're hitting it, man. So my only target, I don't, honestly, mm. right? My only target is to try to do the best we can with it and, and make sure that it sort of represents what we think the place is. And, and certainly Hansel is all about that dusty minerality in the nose but then also that broad structure on the palate so whether whether we're making chardonnay pinot noir or or cabernet for me it's like the, is it representative of what we know about the place we're fortunate to have so much history right. and and we were also fortunate to have uh, you know bob sessions as a long time winemaker i mean 30 plus years so the the when when you go back and you read like how he made wines didn't change much at all <laughs> and, and in, he both he and um Kept, he kept incredible notes. Incredible uh, we were told. notes. Yeah. And then the same with um, Brad. Yeah. Uh, same way, right? Yeah. Brad so Webb. Brad Webb and then uh, Kim Giles was also the winemaker at Hansel for a period of time in, in between. And then Bob. So we, incredible notes. I'm <laughs> terrible at taking notes. Um, they, they were very, very good. And, and, and again, I think it's just a cultural difference of where we are today versus then, too. I think at that time, that's what you did, right? Um, when, when you took to a lot of the, the great winemakers from that area, a lot of them have tons of stacks and stacks of notebooks. Um, and Bob came from Mayakamas, where that was one yeah. of the things that was culturally really important in Mayakamas with Bob Travers. You know, Bob Travers had notes on on everything that happened on that property, not just what they did, but rainfall, temperature, going back <laughs> um, to the 50s yeah. and 60s, which is, you know, what when so when Braden got there, uh, even before he was winemaker, assistant winemaker, one of his first thing, his jobs was taking all of Bob Travers' notes and, and digitizing them. And yeah. Like, the especially the rainfall uh, records going back, um, super, super fascinating stuff. Yeah, well, Worth driving up there and picking Braden's brain about some of yeah, it. Yeah, um, because that. that's that sure. cultural, yeah. you know, with where that starts was, was in my commas for sure. <laughs> so, Sam, if you look at this, um, like for sense of place against like a Rossi, what, what are you tasting it as the difference? I, I mean, my, uh, interpretation of its sense of place is you know not taken out of context right it, you can't take it out of a vacuum of a place where you know i've literally driven past this vineyard and this property every day since i was born um uh, and and knowing where it is and knowing it in context of its its uh, historical and you know cultural relevance to sonoma valley um, and 
it's geology and 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 topography and and you know geography where it is um it is to me this really interesting uh juxtaposition of cooler climate sonoma valley with um the soil of of moon mountain district um and you know that volcanic expression and that you know so it's it's about that structure um and it's about that sort of the dusty minerality less intense than you would get if it was 500 feet higher up the mountain yeah. you, know, you get into different soils too but also you just have different weather you're you're very rarely in the fog you know you're always above the fog you get up higher it's uh, that kind of thing you know yeah, it, yeah. It, it has those elements um and, you know you can't and I, you it's impossible knowing those things to taste the wine and not see that you know these wines have basically grew up with right i mean yeah i just like those descriptors you know and and you can say that and you can say it you know um i just taste it (laughs) i'm the one who enjoys it i'm the consumer well it's it's fascinating i mean we we literally have planted at hansel in uh, below ambassadors so ambassadors goes chardonnay to pinot noir and then it goes into cabernet and then it goes into Cab Franc, Petit Verdot, Malbec, and Chardonnay, and then Chardonnay. So you literally have all the Bordeaux varietals, except for Merlot, planted right next door to Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. And I, I certainly, there is a common theme throughout that portion of the vineyard. Now, when you get to Ramos, it's a little bit more flowery, and there's different things happening. The debris is different, and Sessions, Pinot Noir is different. And the Ramos is the one that's, like, up on the ridgeline. Yeah, it's our highest elevation. It's the only one that's sort of west-facing as well. Everything else is, is sort of either knoll top or southeast right. um, exposure. There's some sort of west-ish exposure in, in Zellerbach too and Day, but... Um, so that to me is kind of fascinating, especially when you when you, when you're crafting the wines. Like you're just, it's so interesting that you you're making this style Chardonnay next to this style Pinot Noir next to this style of Cabernet blend. It's it's sort of mind blowing in a sense from the same exact location within a hundred feet from each other. Yeah. Can't think of many places on Earth, right? Yeah, where you could successfully do. I mean, people have tried it, and there's other places. In Moon Mountain District, the North End, Charlie Smith, the Kistler Vineyard, where you have great Cabernet, and then you kind of go over the little ridge into these little swales, and and you get great spots for for Chardonnay. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's hard to think. I don't know anywhere else. Like you know, I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I I would agree with you, Sam. And and there was a lot more of that planting from the seventies. In the early 80s, like they planted that way. And then someone decided, no, it was too hot here for Pinot Noir. So they put all the Pinot, right? Mm -hmm. But, you know, Kenwood at Jack London, there was Cabernet planted right next to Pinot. And the Pinot was very good, you know. I mean, eventually got pulled out because they just couldn't sell it. Mm -hmm. Um, But they grew next to each other. And, you know, again, another more of a restrained Cabernet uh, place, you know, the – the Mike Benziger, um, he was always trying to make a Napa cab out of um, uh, the estate ranch, you know, and and that was hard to do because again, it's a cooler growing area, and um, so we, it was all about over letting things get overripe to try to you know calm the acid, and I think really what we should have been doing is embracing the acid that they had instead of chasing those other wines, you know, we were yeah. chasing those those Napa cabs. At the and time that I was there. You're exactly right. What's fascinating to me today, too, is that 
to we get for especially for Pinot Noir, we're so caught up in cool versus warm climate, right. Pinot Noir, and, and right. Mm. And so my experience now with Hanzel, I've kind of come full circle on on all of that dogma because I was fortunate with flowers. We had 86 different vineyards from the time I started. We had six, then we grew it to 86 oh, different holy, vineyards. Holy crap! For, for flowers, <laughs> that harvest binder. Oh, is or actually his volume of harvest binders. Yeah. It's just like you need an extra truck. The, the contract work alone was just a complete nightmare. Oh my god, eighty-six. Um, but so we grew a lot in that four years right. that I was there, and so I had vineyards all the way from where Camp Meaning Ridge, Extreme Sonoma Coast, up by Hirsch and everything, all over West County. I was in every little microclimate that we have in Sonoma County because our wine we transitioned the Sonoma Coast to being sort of more Sonoma County blend, and I can say that. Hansel, when you look at just from a chemistry standpoint, even though Hansel would be deemed to be sort of warmer climate or a hot climate for Pinot Noir, even some would say, that you have to, you, you can't take what you deem the daytime highs to be for certain parts of the year as the driving point for a warmer, cool climate. Mean temperatures are, are incredibly important, mm. and and the inversion that you have in diurnal change is is absolutely by far I believe what's the most important, especially for met- metabolizing malic and kind of conservation of tartaric acid. So on the extreme summer coast where we're growing Pinot Noir all through there, I mean this is everywhere from like all the way Camp Meaning Ridge, Fort Ross Sea View, all the way down through Occidental and and all that area, um, because elevation out there plays a major role in in that diurnal so you can have actually warmer nights out on the far coast as you had during the day and so especially up high high. so we were at you know 1900 feet 2000 feet Mm. and so you can have daytimes of of 80 degrees in in august but nights of 84 and so the vines are just burning 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 right They're, Mm. they're they're not stopping they're not slowing down at all and so you you can end up at, at harvest time, having like very lopsided acids, so where you have very little tartaric left and you have a lot of malic, and so you end up having high pHs. So, and so all these things that you would think that a warm climate would drive, you know, it's, it's not really about those daytime highs, and especially for, you know, 10, 15 days out of the year that are driving some of those things where it's more about the vine not getting to rest exactly it well and soils soil right and soil temperature yeah so one one of the things that we're completely Mm -hmm. which is why i'm saying crimping is by far the number one most important thing that we do at hansel not only is it for carbon sequestration you know creating that humus layer building organic matter sustaining life with our biology through cooler soil temperatures throughout the summer uh, and and a lot more for them to feed off of during the the wintertime but it's also keeping soil temperatures down and armoring the soil during the heat of the summer and so <laughs> our soil temperatures are about 20 to 30 degrees lower than ambient temperatures in the soil where in in vineyards that are more sand based right so if you're on a gold ridge soil and especially if you're tilling mm. you can have you can have yeah maybe only 75 degrees in occidental but if the sun is shining right. that freaking sand is 130 so you're, you're so you think about walking on the hot beach yeah, right yeah. so, so the you, beach. you have no biology left you burned off all your biology you have no active earthworms you have nothing really working for you to where the vine can continue to metabolize and pull up water and nutrients efficiently so like there's so much that goes into it i've completely eliminated now i don't look at temperatures i don't give a shit what the temperature soils is number one like go for soils elevation exposure i think you can almost grow any grape variety in california if you focus on those three components first in some way or another 
what, no matter where you're at. I mean, I would, I would go sh- Pinot Noir and Chardonnay on Atlas Peak without question. I think it'd be absolutely fan-fucking-tastic, right? So it's just like this, just... That's, Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because what do they have, right? They have great elevation, right. fantastic soils, good exposures. I mean, you could do amazing things. Start like, so it's, Start pulling out Cab at, uh, at Rutherford. Right. Yes. Well, you know, go cross the canyon... Talk to Brene, and maybe they can, you know, do some replants at Stagecoach or something. <laughs> uh, uh, sorry, speaking of which, I have a meeting with Gallo at 1 o'clock. <laughs> Is that, that's why you're wearing the fancy sweater vest today, huh? Uh, very nice to meet you guys. Likewise. Oh, I really want to get up to the property. Please do. Take a look. Do you guys mind if I take this Pinot? I know you're. <laughs> I know you're kind of shocked by that. Yeah. You're probably like, "Why is he not asking for the white wine?" But this is so fucking good. Right on. Yeah. You guys down? Is it okay? Yeah. Did yeah. yeah. ever say yeah. no to you, Brian? Pour a, pour a splash for Jasmine in a glass back there. Oh, a cork. Yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll pour one for her on the way out. <laughs> uh, so, on that note. Enjoy, Gal. Talk, talk about. I'm sure there'll be the delicious wines, and we can't say anything bad because no, the drones will come and take us out. Um, <laughs> uh, um, talk about the lineup. You know what the wines that you know are available, general public, the the Hansel Farm membership. I remember when we did that tasting a couple of summers ago. I'm like, oh, I I need to join. This I don't I'm not a member of any wine club, um, but I wanted to join the Hansel Farm for those things, and then like a pandemic happened or something. Yeah. So I'm gonna do that today, um, and then uh, so to talk about that program, talk about the lineup a little bit, um, sell, and some sell some wine. Yeah, so our again our two main wines still about Pinot Noir, still Noir. Heritage Chardonnay Pinot Noir. I mean that even with all the experiments we're doing, all the different farm wines, the Cabernet and everything. Um, we spend more time and energy on the two heritage wines because that, that's what Hansel is, right? The same label we've been producing since 1957. I mean, to, to your point about Moon Mountain, like some things are just hard to change. Yeah. No, it's, uh, mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? From a labeling standpoint, yeah. that's the same label. Um, and then with the Cabernet, you see, we, we th- did the throwback label. That's the, the same label that we had Cabernet when we produced it in the 80s. Yeah. So... It, that's that's our focus. That's that's the majority of the wine that we make are those those two wines. Then we also make uh, Sabella Chardonnay for wholesale. So I, I now have kind of like two wholesale wines, which is Sabella Chardonnay, which is f- from the estate as well, and and from the younger vines predominantly from the 2008 planting of Zellerbach. Then it has some mixed in some day and sometimes some Ramos and things in it. And then we actually purchase fruit from vineyards that I've worked with in the past prior to coming to Hansel for a Sabella Pinot Noir. So we, that's the only wine we make that's not from the estate. Um, that's a Sonoma Coast wine from all those areas I was just talking right. about. Right? So 86 that, different vineyards. So that's from <laughs> out on the far coast. It's only a couple thousand cases, but that because we don't – we only have 12 acres of Pinot Noir on the, the estate. We don't have any enough for wholesale. So that's for restaurants and, and retailers. Um, we also sell the two heritage wines in wholesale as well, but the Pinot Noir is maybe 10, 20 cases now. Um, and then the uh, heritage Chardonnay is about 3,000 six-packs or so, um, so 1,500 cases. And then, then comes the farm series in 2016, and that's, like I said, a series of whatever we are focusing on for that vintage, whether it be a certain vineyard, like, like the 2018 was a Ramos 
uh, vineyard Chardonnay. And then we also did a 2018 comparison of Debris Vineyard, which is 100% fermented whole cluster against one that was 100% fermented destemmed. Mm -hmm. So from the same vineyard, planted the same day, tried to keep the fermentation connects, the temperatures and all that exactly the same, you know, picking but, every other but row. But every year it can be different. But every year is totally different. Yeah. Yeah. Every year's cool. It could be all Chardonnay one year from three different parts of the vineyard fermented in different ways. So some that's 100% barrel fermented, which we have Chardonnay coming up versus 100% stainless steel fermented. Like the goal is, is to engage with our, with our members, not only in kind of what we're thinking about year after year and what we're doing on the property or with the winemaking, but also like to have that information, as you can see, which is on the back of the bottle, yeah. all the technical information so they can taste that side by side yeah. or taste a hundred percent whole cluster versus hundred percent destem fermented and, and not knowing if they'd ever have that opportunity side by side from the same vineyard before get a better understanding of what qualities that that drives in a wine like what do i like whole cluster wines i don't know now of course every every wine is different but i think just engaging with yeah. our with our members in a just way to start asking questions because it's, it's all about education right if we're if if we that's we live on edu education. Mm -hmm. I think uh, Brandon's as inquisitive as I am, like always, constantly asking questions. And we want our members to do the same of us. Like ask us questions. Let, you know, let us know what you're interested in, and and we'll just try to try to provide. You know. And there's such such amount of things changing with the with with the the details on the back. You know, the the fun nerding out of the the the, the technical details, which I love and appreciate. And we're learning. All the time especially myself but when our club members come up to pick up their their wine they may stop and have a tasting and see what see what else is new see what else we have going on right. and so I'll pick up on these these nuances from from vintage to vintage and and, and continue learning like all of us right well and, and typically the, the farm wines are essentially component parts of of the heritage, the, of the, heritage yeah. the final yeah. heritage yeah. wines yeah. so there's really I mean that's you know something that as as producers, winemakers, farmers, you, you get to taste those things, but rarely are, is it like presented in that way to to the end consumer. Yeah, you know, here's the final wine. Here's some of the things that went into it and changes that we made and how it shows up. Yeah. That's You're exactly that's right. totally awesome. And that's why I'm saying we spend so much time and effort on the two heritage wines because the hardest thing because because before everything went in it. Right. Right. right? You yeah. had the 1953 ambassadors. You had the 76 from Debris. You had the 72 Dave and you had all these old vines that kind of made this one master blend. And then now you try to take <coughs> small components out of it. Um, we have to be really careful that, look, our main objective is that for that heritage wine to totally represent our place mm. in the vintage, right? right? And, and any component we try to take out of it can't take away from that. Right. So that's right. the hardest piece. Mm. And yeah. even though it's 75 or 100 cases at a time, it, like, yeah, every, you're only making a couple drop, thousand yeah, to begin with, yeah. the percentage yeah. starts to matter. And so it's it's a, a major exercise. We hmm. taste 300 different wines probably to, wow. to get it right. Wow. Um, and to just to make that one Chardonnay wine, it's it's rough. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's a rough. It's not even a day at the office. That's a rough month at the office. Yeah. Um, so two questions: one one for you, Jason; one for you, Brandon. Yeah. Um, and Jason, this is more just like if you're a customer who shows up, because I oftentimes, I mean, Hansel is on my list of places for people to go when they're visiting, mm. and I 
of course, I'm completely ignorant of what the actual tasting experience is like. Um, so talk about that a little bit. Yeah. I know that you're in, you know, these, these historic buildings. What are the wines that you're tasting? What can people expect when yeah. they show up? So there? it's evolved quite a bit since the pandemic, of course. You know, right. We were open seven days a week before, and all tastings were indoors, and you kind of did a drive-around tour of the vineyard, and then you tasted inside. And, and that's since kind of all gone away. Um, but I really like the experience today. It's it's we have platforms that are out in the ambassadors, the 1953 vineyard. Um, Brandon actually built uh, himself on the property these five tasting platforms that just overlook that old ambassador's vineyard. So you're just from, from some you're, you're out yeah. in the vineyard. There's well, some integrated nice. into yeah. it. And then Jose built the backdrop fence from canes from woven canes. Woven canes. Oh, cool. The entire cool. fence Beautiful. is just woven grapevine canes. It's so it's like, you know, yeah. it's just, it's a really special environment. It so. was an appropriate way for us to spend our year when we were closed. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. 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 it took a year. Yeah. <laughs> With our N95 on outside, yeah, exactly. you know, yeah. <laughs> it's just crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so now you, you arrive at Hansel, your state educator greets you, you, get, you walk over to your platform, you're immediately immersed into the vineyard experience, right? So you're there, you see it, and mm-hmm. where the indoor tasting, I felt like that was something we were missing. You know, it's like you're you're there, you're on the property, you can kind of follow the seasons. We have a lot of members that, that visit quite often. So if you're a member, you get to visit for free, and, and they rightly so take advantage of it, and we love it. Right. Um, because they can, like, come when the animals are grazing, and they love to see that operation, and they love to see the flowers in the spring and the cover crop. And they crop. bring their out-of-town guests with them. Exactly, right. yeah. So you so you sit on your your platform, and we have a veranda tasting, which is outside my office on the Heritage Winery, and then we do have a table inside the old historic barrel room, which has a beautiful arch door yeah. that I know you are familiar with that overlooks ambassadors. So like every tasting spot now has its own really special, unique relationship with the vineyard itself, which I, I really um, I really love. And so you'll taste four wines generally. So um, it's kind of a special farm wine of some sort. Or we also make a, what's called a winemaker selection Sabella for only those tastings itself. So it's it's a wine that our whole team gets together and we kind of select certain uh, a certain blend. We make maybe 150 cases of it or so, and that's just for our tastings uh, on site. And that's always a Chardonnay, and that's always fermented 100% stainless steel. Mm-hmm. So it kind of pays homage to the first wines of Hansel, was which was fermented that way. Um, and then you'll taste the two heritage wines, um, and then right now it's the 18 Cabernet as well. Cool. And so it's $45 a person um, to visit. You can book on Cellar Pass. And we are open today, uh, Thursday through Monday. Cool. Okay. That's it. Uh, and then, so Brandon, mm-hmm. from the farm manager, property manager, land manager standpoint, um, you know, what are some of the new projects that you're working on? What are some of the things that are sort of challenging you right now and things you're looking forward to as you uh, kind of go through, go into this uh, winter season and, and, you know, the next year ahead? Yeah, um, it's it's a lot of what we've been talking about. It's also my time as, as the kind of the default builder, <laughs> the default project guy. You know, I'm trying to winterize some of those platforms platforms that we were talking about tasting, making them a little bit more cozy right. when we get through the wintertime because it's going to be a lot more the same where we have a couple of placements inside the buildings, but Mostly the majority outside. outside right. So we want to make it as comfortable as possible. So I'm, we're kicking around some ideas for that. Very much similar to like restaurants out on the plaza, you know, kind of yeah. protected that way. Um, and uh, I've been wanting to get rid of these damn 
grape hauling wagon chicken coops that we've been using in our paddock. So they're not human friendly and they arguably aren't even animal friendly. It's just so hard to get in there and clean everything out and collect eggs and, and feed them. But uh, I'm, I'm, I am bringing down an old stand of acacia, which is a very invasive uh, yeah. non-native plant like and, eucalyptus, and makes but it makes sneeze. really great building material. So uh, I brought in the pigs first. This is kind of the flow. You bring in the pigs, they stomp it out. Uh, bring the trees down, mill it into lumber with a chainsaw freehand, and then uh, uh, maybe plug in some acorns. This is the time and open the canopy up, allow that to grow out and just observe it over the next couple of years and right. see if our, our flow is correct. And if I have to modify it, cause there's a second stand that needs to have the same treatment. So right. that's kind of uh, the goal is to build that chicken coop with as much uh, lumber as possible from on site. It's kind of climate friendly, you know, lumbering, right. uh, climate friendly uh, purchasing of material. You know, yeah. when we, whenever we approach a project, it's always, we have to ask the questions. Right. Is this something we need? Yes. Can we build it? Yes. Do we have the materials? Yes or no. Okay. Now we need to go to the store to get all the other stuff. So right. I, I like that sort of that, that Steinbeck minded grapes of wrath sort of let's use what we have like Jose building this wonderful uh, grape cane uh, woven wall behind our tasting platforms just to focus your, your view out over the ambassador vineyard and the heritage winery. Just absolutely gorgeous. Cool. So, so a lot of it, it has to do with the forest and the ambiance for the visitor as well. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Please. Sounds like you'll be busy. Oh, yeah. Forever. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just year after year after year, and you're living your life in, in the forest, and it's absolutely cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's exactly what you should be doing. <laughs> yeah, well, and what Brandon hasn't said either is his full integration into the winemaking team. Oh, He's right. out there picking grapes every night with me. We start about 11 o'clock at night. He's driving tractor. He's out there with the crew pulling leaves out of the bins. and Learning Spanish. Learning Spanish. Yeah. Um, fruit comes in, sorting fruit, doing punch downs. And that, that's, I think, really the essence of, cool. of Hansel, right? It's, it's all hands on. I mean, the system, yeah. right? Everybody, it's, it's holistic. Everybody yeah. has, every, every living being on the property is attended to and also part of, you know, has a job yeah. to do, right? Very so, much yeah. so. Cool. Shout outs, guys. Yeah, yeah, shout out to uh, to Jerry Woggy and company who did the. Uh, well, the next time they'll have to be at Hansel, the winemakers podcast tour of Sonoma, where everywhere they went, uh, except, I guess exception of Little, which is more an, an oversight on our part. Uh, everywhere they went for their entire trip here in Sonoma was was winemakers and wineries that have been on the show. Uh, so I, that's a good they, they created something that we probably should have created, which is the Winemakers Podcast Tour. Oh, uh, awesome. But nice. it, was, it, was, uh, it was cool to see. So thanks, uh, and thanks for stopping through us and seeing us again, Jerry. Yeah. One of, one of our, my first wine club members. So. Yeah. And, and, and we continue to see people um, uh, out here. Jimmy, uh, James Powers was just okay. out um, also. Um, uh, James has really jumped into wine. He was he was a beer guy, and uh, his fiance was telling me about how he keeps buying wine racks and keeps <laughs> keeps filling them up. And I, somehow his math doesn't work, so he's got way more wine than what I think they thought they were going to have. But um, yeah, uh, what other shout outs? You know what? It's Thanksgiving, uh, so um, this will be out. You know, by the time you, you some people will be listening to it on Thanksgiving, going to their uh, families' houses, 
Um, I have a, an assignment for everybody. Um, everybody has to sometime over the next week listen to Alice's Restaurant um, by uh, by uh, uh, Arlo Arlo Guthrie. Arlo mm-hmm. Guthrie. Um, very much appropriate for Thanksgiving. Um, it's a great story. Uh, your kids may not love it as much as you do, but um, it, it's it's a Thanksgiving must. Awesome. All right, man. Hey, Thank you so th- much for what having a, us. We really appreciate it. These shows are so good um, <laughs> because we hear so many just honest, perfect stories. I, I heard a comment last week. We ran two and a half hours last week, and but that was the whole point. There you go. It's music you can talk over. It, I mean, it that's is. kind of the oh, whole no, idea, it's right? perfect, yeah. yeah. And uh, it's just two and a half hours of stories, and that's exactly what I heard back. You let him ramble. You let him go. I've never heard this before. I don't think we had a choice with I, Uncle Will Buckland. Uh, <laughs> <It wasn't there. laughs> well, everybody told me that other podcasts that have had him on have, have cut him off and told him what to say or steered him in direction. And we just let him ramble. And it was a blast. And I learned so much. It was really nice. The same thing with Hansel today. And you guys, yeah. Really well done. Yeah, the wines are great. Yeah. yeah. And I'm serious about uh, I need to join the wine club. The fact that, <laughs> that Brian took the Pinot. Uh, yes, right? You know? <laughs> he wasn't subtle about it. I mean, that. I, no, it's, that's new territory. Didn't even like, reach for the Chardonnay, which is his. I mean, now it's a Brian wine. 100%. Yeah, it is. He's, he's um, culturally appropriated it. <laughs> he's, not, he's not just taking over uh, the, the Pinot. So. All right. That's it, guys. Peace and love. Thanks Thank for listening, you. man. Talk to you next wow. week. And we are out.